Thank you. Thank you so much for that welcome. It's lovely to be with you this morning. Hi. Uh, there are some things in life uh, you never forget. Uh, and right at the top of the list would be your first night at home with a new baby. You've had these months, obviously, you don't need to explain it all to you, I'm sure you've had these months of anticipation of getting ready, culminates in these hours of frenetic activity in the hospital, and then suddenly it seems you're at home with this tiny bundle of life. The midwives and the nurses have gone, friends and family and well-wishers have gone, it's just you and this tiny bundle of life. And uh, the joy is indescribable. The sense of achievement, you're saying to your wife, look, we've done it. And she's sitting there saying, yeah, we've done it. You tell me about it, you know. <laughs> the sense of achievement is amazing. And then he starts to cry. And this overwhelming sense of responsibility descends upon you, this tiny bundle of life totally dependent upon you. It's, uh, this is the start of the roller coaster of parenting, isn't it? Those of you who've been through it, it is a roller coaster. Moments of sheer joy brought on by the smallest things, a step, a word, uh, Moments of heart-bursting pride, a plastic Little League trophy, or a single stumbled line in a school play. And then the roller coaster goes down into these dips of just sheer frustration and bewilderment and confusion. This is the roller coaster of parenting. Up at 3 a.m., with this bundle of fury that just won't sleep and you're thinking, is this all life is going to be from now on? And then fast forward 15, 16 years, still up in the early hours of the morning, <laughs> waiting for that teenager to come home who promised you they'd be home by 11. What are you going to do about it? I just don't know, this bewilderment, this frustration. Kids bring out the very, very best in us and they bring out the very worst in us. And sometimes the gap between the two is momentary. Sometimes our parenting comes as naturally as breathing. And at other times we are just confused, bewildered, frustrated. Uh, Amanda and I are so pleased to be with you this morning. Uh, thank you for the welcome. Uh, we're not just friends. Our church has shared DNA. We have a common history together. We, we really are walking together. And personally, I'm so pleased to be here. We have friendships with people in this room that go back decades, literally, don't they? So we're amongst friends. <clears throat> but part of me wishes I was a bit further away. You see, Philip has asked me to speak on parenting and particularly focusing on teenagers. And I think um, I'm a bit too close to home to be an expert. <laughs> Because the risk of you finding out the truth is too, is too real. I'm not far enough away. So I think rather than share expertise, I'll share experience, if that's okay. Uh, Amanda and I, two weeks ago, we shared, our, we shared, obviously, we celebrated our 30th wedding anniversary. Uh, we have three, yeah, Amanda deserves a round of applause for that, I'll tell you. <laughs> 
We have three fine sons. Uh, two of them are grown up and have left home. One of them's married. Uh, we just have Tom at home with us now. He's 17, about uh, in, the, in the middle of his A-levels. Um, we love our sons. We have loved being parents. We are loving being parents. We have had so much fun with our sons. Um, but we have also made lots and lots of mistakes, and there are times in our parenting when we have just been hanging on to that roller coaster for dear life. So uh, our experience then, rather than our expertise, is that we have a Father in heaven who is our perfect Father and who loves us more than we could possibly imagine and who loves our kids more than we possibly could and who provides for us when we ask him, whether that's in material things or whether that's just in wisdom. We've found God is a faithful father to us, even as we try and mother and father our children. So uh, this morning, I don't have time for a parenting course. Please, I'm not delivering a parenting course. I'm just sharing a few experiences, mostly what I am praying, what my heart is that this would be an encouragement, a spurring on for parents in the room. But before I start talking to parents, I just sort of feel I'm very conscious that probably a lot of you are not parents. Some fun of, some, lots of you are far too young to be parents. And so you might be thinking, well, thanks for this series, Phil. <laughs> Three weeks of talking about parenting. What on earth has this got to do with me? I have no children. So please, if you don't mind, I would love to give you four very quick reasons why, even if you don't have biological children of your own, please hang in there and listen to what God might be saying to you this morning and you will receive something. The first reason is this. You are gracious and generous people who recognize that while you don't have children of your own, you are part of a community where people do have children and you are just glad to see them served. So that's reason number one, almost goes without saying. Reason number two, some of you, not all of you, some of you, even though you don't have kids now, one day you will. And maybe there might just possibly be the slightest nugget or even thought that might sort of stay with you and help you at some time in the future. One of my greatest joys from Facebook is looking at the posts of a friend of mine. He now lives abroad. I don't see him very often. All his posts on Facebook are about his lovely beautiful toddler daughter and her latest adventures. I have no idea what is going on in my friend's work life, what his home is like, what his church is like. All I know is that his daughter is lovely and here she is on the swing and here she is in the park and you'll never believe what she did said last week and wasn't this. The reason this brings a smile to my face is it's not that long ago that I remember sitting with this guy in my office at work with him telling me, in his early 30s, he was not going to marry, he was not going to have kids, probably off the back of some disastrous relationship, breakup. And, uh, and I remember those words and I see his posts on Facebook and I just smile and enjoy the moment. So some of you, you don't have kids now, but one day you will. I think thirdly and really, really importantly, you may not have biological children of your own, but you are significant in the lives of many other children. Amanda and I have brought our children up in the context of a church community and we owe a massive, massive debt of gratitude to many others in that church community who have just stood with us and loved us and loved our kids as they've grown up. Um, our debt is that they've cared for and they've supported us when we needed it. They've said words of encouragement to us. 
They've prayed for and loved our kids as they grew up. Um, they've had conversations with our kids, particularly as they got into sort of more of the teenage years, that we could not have had because the dynamic and the context of the relationship was different. My son, part of our story is that one of our sons rebelled spectacularly uh, at about the age of 15 and just didn't want to know God anymore, didn't want to know church anymore. Such a painful, bewildering time for us. But in that time, uh, friends, sort of just a bit older than him and a lot younger than us, were still significant in his life. They just kept the connection going. Sometimes he would come along to church with us, and he would come very self-consciously, thinking people would be pointing the finger and and people would just, oh, hi, Dan, how are you doing? Nice to see you, and all this. We would um, have young couples, young guys round to our house for meals, deliberately knowing that these were the kind of people Dan would look up to. And uh, sure enough, he, he, if we'd invited him to the meal, he wouldn't have come. But they were in the house, and somehow he always seemed to wander in while they were, they were having a meal with us and just start chatting with them, and they would chat with him. And we would surreptitiously pull up a chair and just say, oh, sit down, Dan, have a chair. And they just stayed in connection with him. Um, you may not have children of your own. These friends of ours, many of them over the years, they've demonstrated to our boys what healthy adult life looks like. Where do kids get role models from now? So often it's from the media and so often those, those role models are useless. They're, they're not just neutral, they're, they're damaging. And yet our boys growing up have been surrounded by people who have shown them what healthy adult life looks like. And now in their later years, they are reaping the benefit from, from that. Some of our friends have done all that for us and for our children while carrying such pain and heartache that they didn't have children of their own. Where that has been the case, our debt to them is incalculable. Incalculable, but God sees. So I hope you're hearing something worth hearing. Um, the fourth and final reason is simply this. As God's people... We are called to mother and father the world around us. We are surrounded by spiritual orphans. And we have this ministry from God to minister to those around us. You see that in the whole flavor of the New Testament as gospel writers write to their children. Not, not their physical children, but their children. This is the way that we relate to the world around us. And you don't need biological children to experience that kind of fruitfulness. So please stay engaged. Okay. Enough sort of intro. Let's get some wisdom. Um, sorry, I've totally forgotten about these slides. Um, could you just fast forward through the first two pictures? This is, uh, this is the, the bewildering experience of your child at home, and this is all of us sharing together in bringing up our children. Okay, if we go on to the next slide, we'll get into some wisdom. <laughs> sorry about that. I'm, uh, um, so uh, let's, you, you want wisdom, best place to go is the Word of God. Uh, in the Bible, there's this book called Proverbs. It's a book of wisdom. It's the wisdom written down by a guy called King Solomon about 3,000 years ago. The Bible tells us that God gifted him with extraordinary wisdom. And uh, uh, parenting is all over this book of Proverbs. It's written in the context of a father speaking to his son. And all, lots of the nuggets are about parenting. So here's just a few words from uh, the first chapter of Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Listen, my son, to your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. They are to be a garland to grace your head and a chain to adorn your neck. 
Solomon tells us what we already know, and that's that our parents' words have this capacity to affect us on through life. We carry them with us. Tragically, many in our world today grow up without the covering of, our, of their parents' words, either because their parents had abandoned them and were absent, or even though they were present, their words just were not spoken over them. Others, the reality is that rather than having this chain of adornment, this chain of authority, so that as the children grew up and stepped out from under their parents' immediate authority, they were able to exercise authority themselves in the uh, sphere that God was calling them to. Um, rather than having this chain of empowerment and in, uh, adornment, their parents' words were more like a ball and chain around their leg, which they drag with them. A crip- parents' words crippling them on through life. We find this again and again as we're ministering to people that the source of the thing that has crippled them has been their parents' words. The things that were meant to release them into the things God was calling them to do have been the very things that have held them back. Wonderfully, we know that God can bring healing and wholeness even to those most damaged by their upbringing. If you're not a Christian this morning, this essentially is the gospel in a nutshell. Jesus came telling us, my father can be your father. That when we become Christians, our father in heaven adopts us and makes us his children. And our loving father in heaven begins to speak a louder and a stronger word over us than our parents ever did, bringing healing and wholeness. Sometimes it takes time to see the good of that outwork in someone's life. But the reality of it is true. The moment someone becomes a Christian, they're adopted as God's child. So uh, we can see people restored as God speaks over their lives. That is the gospel. That's the good news. But Solomon reminds us that God's uh, uh, original intention, his purpose is that under him, our parents' words should be this empowering thing that comes like a crown on our heads, establishing our identity so that we have this wonderful confidence as we go on into life about who we are in God and this chain of office around our necks that under God we can begin to exercise authority in our own right in the spheres that God has called us to as we grow up. I think this is my key word for parents of teenagers this morning. I just want to encourage you. I just want to encourage you, keep speaking these words over your children and to your children, even as they become teenagers. These teenage years can be a time of real disengagement between parents and children because the kids think they've grown up when they haven't. And the trouble is parents sometimes act as if they've grown up when they haven't. And we have this call to keep speaking over and to our children, stay engaged, stay speaking to them. Yes, they have a responsibility to listen. And sometimes they won't. And Proverbs has got lots of words to those children who are foolish enough not to listen to their parents' words. But frankly, that's between them and God. Our responsibility is to keep speaking over them. Next slide, please. Some verses from Genesis. We can be very confident that when God... When we speak to God about our fact, we have an open ear from God as we pray for and speak over our children. And the reason we can be so confident is that God's glory and our children's good are completely entwined. 
It's essentially, I think, is what Genesis, the first book of the Bible, is telling us. It's that, you know, you know, people talk about having vision for your family. You need vision for your family. And I think the trouble is a lot of parents receive that as a, like a weight upon them. I've got to have this vision for my family, and am I fulfilling it? I think, actually, vision for family is the thing that empowers us and releases us because it's the thing that says God is for us and with us. What's the purpose of a family? Well, what is the purpose of a person? The purpose of a person is to reflect the nature of God. To, to, uh, God the Genesis tells us God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created the male and female. He created the, them. It talks about us being in the image of God, in the earth to reflect the nature of God, the glory of God in the world around us. And then it immediately goes on to talk about families. He blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. The point of us and the point of our families is to reflect the character of nature and nature of God, to honor him by being like him in the earth. The universe doesn't revolve around our children. It revolves around God. But his glory and our children's good are completely entwined. And this means that we have confidence that God hears us when we pray for our families. It means that we have confidence when we're praying for ourselves as parents because it means um, in our commitment as parents, in our mothering and fathering, we are reflecting the nature of God. In our loving, in our affirming, in our encouraging, in our correcting, in our providing for, in our disciplining, and in our protecting. It all reflects what God is like. And that means God's Glory, God's honor is invested in us being good parents and our children doing well. And this gives us massive confidence when it comes to praying. In our most difficult times as parents, we learnt how to pray more. Um, when my son, uh, this rebellion, uh, came to light uh, spectacularly, sent us reeling. And I remember when things had really come to a head, really come out into the open, I went in confusion and discouragement and despair, really. I was booked into a training event. And uh, I'd offered my resignation to the elders in our church because I just thought, how can I lead in the church when this is going on at home? And the el gracious elders in the church are not looking for that. You just go. You attend this training. Let's take some time out and then we'll talk, you know. And so I go down this training event down in Brighton. I was going to thinking, what am I coming here for? And uh, the guy who was speaking on that particular training event is one of the real father figures in New Frontiers. Uh, I don't know him personally, but someone who I would always go to his seminars if I was at an event. Just someone I just felt I connected with. He happened to be doing the training. Happened to be doing the training that morning. And as he's training, his, this was nothing to do with his topic. He goes completely off-piste, and he starts talking about his daughter, who got pregnant when she was 15. And he starts telling this story about how, off the back of that, he offered his resignation to his fellow elders. And I'm like, you can imagine, I was in pieces. And uh, I go to him at the end, and I just start sharing something of our ex what was happening in our lives at that time. I hadn't been working for the church that long at the time. And uh, he just said he wasn't planning to tell that story at all. It just, he didn't even know why he told the story. Um, but he said to us, you keep loving your kids, your son, and you keep praying for him. 
And that's the lesson we learned. You keep praying. You keep speaking your words. Our speaking our words isn't just, you know, God, will you do this? We prophesy over our children. We, the, the, um, uh, the Psalms tell us that our children are like arrows that we fire into the future. So we look into the future and we speak their future over them, whether they're hearing us or not. And um, uh, sometimes that's difficult. You know, sometimes praying, it, it can just be worrying, saying amen at the end. Yeah, you know that. And my wife learned, Amanda learned this, um, that um, she made a pact with one of the other mums in the church who had a daughter in a similar kind of situation. And she uh, carried on praying, but she knew she couldn't pray deeply for our son because it just was too painful. It just, and so she made a pact. Amanda took a covenant to pray for this daughter and this other woman took a covenant to pray for our son. So, and, you know, so we keep praying. We learn this. God hears us. God hears us. Kid, uh, parents, keep speaking over your kids, whatever is happening. So we have this responsibility to speak over our kids. We also have a responsibility to speak to our kids. And uh, communication is so key that we keep it going, especially in these teenage years where this disconnect seems to often come. It's so easy when they're little. You just pick them up, even when they don't want to be picked up. You pick them up. When they're older, it's just much more challenging to keep that connection going. And quite rightly, we are giving them more and more space, as we should do as they... So these, they can be much more challenging. Talk, um, Proverbs talks about words of instruction and words of discipline. I've called this talk, Life Doesn't Come Naturally. What comes naturally to a baby? Sucking, crying, pooping. I reckon that's about it. Everything else they have to learn. And they learn it from all sorts of sources. And Solomon pleads with parents, do not be passive in this, how they are learning. Keep speaking to them. Keep connecting with them. Uh, next slide, please. This might make a gasp in the room. Solomon pleads with parents, don't be passive. He says, folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it away. We can have big debates about what Solomon means by this word rod, but we can't ignore it because he uses it seven times. So whatever it means, we need to take notice of it. It has this implication about it of uh, a king's ruling scepter or a shepherd's staff. So it's not necessarily describing a stick that you would hit your kids with. I do not know anybody who hits their kids with a stick. I am not advocating that from the front. I am simply saying, do not abdicate exercising authority over your household while your kids are still in it. Uh, this is so important for us. Um, Solomon is saying, don't abdicate. And he's also saying, understand your kids won't necessarily like it when you exercise that authority. You, if you just want to be your kid's mate and their best buddy all the time, you will not be a good parent. There are times when our pet kids really will not appreciate the discipline we're trying to bring to them. God is the perfect father. And Hebrews talks about God's disciplining of his children. And in Hebrews 12, 11, he says, No discipline seems pleasant at the time. He's talking about the Lord's discipline. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who've been trained by it. Philosophers debate at great length about whether children are born perfect and then it's the environment that warps them and twists them 
or whether they're born with this predisposition to wrong and it's our responsibility to train them into right. I think Proverbs leads, leaves us in no doubt as to which side of the debate Solomon is on in this, is in on, on this debate. Um, the principle, I think, is that as an untended garden is prone to weeds, an untended tended child is prone to sin. It's just naturally what happens. It doesn't mean, though, that there won't be the occasional beautiful bloom that appears in this untended garden. We are made in the image of God. It's amazing what suddenly blooms in children. You think, where did that come from? And actually, well, they're made in the image of God. That's what they're reflecting. But the overriding principle is an untended garden is prone to weeds. Untended child is prone to sin. The way that we discipline our children changes as they get older. The boundaries get wider. The stakes get higher. Um, you had some great teaching. I listened to it last week about younger children, so I'm not going to go over all that again. Um, but Solomon is, um, he really ramps up the, uh, what, what the stakes are when we fail to set boundaries for our children. He says, um, discipline your children, for their, and that is their hope. Do not be a willing party to their death, Proverbs 9.18. Solomon, steady on, mate. To their death? Who's talking about their death? You read 2 Samuel, and you read about Solomon's experiences growing up and his brother's experiences that he would have witnessed. David was the best leader that Israel ever had, but the Bible doesn't spare his blushes when it comes to his failings as a parent. And you read about Solomon's brothers Amnon, Absalom, Adonijah, different circles. I won't go into them all now. There isn't time. But the consequence of David's failure to speak into their lives when they were going astray, was their death, their physical death. So Solomon is saying the stakes are high. I haven't got time to go into great de practical detail about discipline. You can get this help elsewhere. Smacking with a smaller child, just a short tap that just brings home the point. Um, time out, but not to the extent that it communicates rejection. Um, Removing rewards and being consistent about that. We found as our kids got older, electronic bands were very effective. No TV, no computer, no mobile phone for 24 hours because of that. And if it happens again, it will be 48 hours. Very effective with teenagers, we found. Um, but, but Solomon is saying, be careful to discipline. He doesn't just mean... Be careful that you do discipline. He, I think he's meaning be careful in the way that you discipline. Um, careful discipline doesn't cause harm. So if it does involve smacking, it's not smacking that causes physical injury. Words that don't communicate rejection or devaluing. There are parents who would never dream of smacking their children, but their words are so wounding, and we meet their children years later who are still carrying those wounds from their parents' words. Words that communicate rejection. Get out of my sight. I don't want to see you. That is not careful discipline. It is, you know, you sit here on the step for a while, and I will come back to you soon, and we'll talk again. Careful discipline is consistent. It wasn't hilariously funny when you did it yesterday and today it makes me furious because it's less convenient. It was wrong yesterday, it's wrong again today. It's consistent. Um, careful discipline brings connection, not rejection. Always ends in greater connection. Connection is everything. 
Context is everything in disciplining our children. I think it's the same of school teachers. It's the same of church pastors. If our words of affirmation and encouragement do not outnumber our words of correction and rebuke by at least 10 to 1, then we are not going to be effective even when we bring our discipline. Or our, our kids need to know that we are besotted with them. That, we, that they are the world to us, that we love them. They need to know that's the context. That's the context in which they get these words of, uh, of, 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 of discipline. It gets harder as they get teenagers. I, don't, I haven't got daughters, so I can't comment. I just know, boys, there comes a time when having a hug is not cool. But you still have a hug anyway. <laughs> Saying I love you is 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 a little bit oh dad do you yeah and you know mum saying insisting she gets a kiss before they go out. But you carry it on because you want them to know I love you. I want this is so important that our kids know this. Careful discipline is never about revenge or getting even or saving face or embarrassment. Yeah, um, so, boy. Teenagers, I, I'm the most placid. My, I've, I've, talked, I've talked to my kids in a way I would never ever talk to anyone because I've been furious and angry. And uh, sometimes it's us who need the time out. It's us who says, you know, we, I'm going to take a minute, okay? We're going to talk about this later. I've just got to go and gather my thoughts. And uh, um, so important. Parents are teachers, not sergeant majors. You know, sergeant major barks an order, what they're interested in is obedience. Understanding is a, an optional extra. Obedience is the thing. A good teacher and a parent knows understanding is everything. The lesson isn't finished until you understand. Obedience is just part of the process, and we can even cope with a bit of disobedience if it, in the long run, brings the lesson. Um, teachers know that's the whole point. We are teaching our children so that they can, the understanding is crucial because we want them eventually to live independently of us, don't, don't we? We want them to be making the right choices even when we're not there. So we might start as more like a sergeant major with the little kid who couldn't even understand if you explained it to them. So just do it because I said so is good enough to older kids who do need explanation and do need to understand. Proverbs 22 uh, says, train up a child in the way he will go, and even when he's old, he'll not depart from it. It's about what they'll do when they're old, when they're not with you anymore. And um, this is a general principle, by the way. It's not a guarantee. It's like saying, if you drive carefully, you will avoid an accident. If you drive recklessly, you will have an accident. Now, sometimes you will drive recklessly and you'll get away with it. <laughs> But the general principle remains true. Sometimes you will drive carefully and you'll still have an accident. But the, sometimes our children will depart from the way that we spoke. But this is a principle. Train them up in the way they'll go and they won't depart from it. Two key principles about training. Uh, the first one, picture please, uh, is about um, time. Love for a child is spelt T-I-M-E takes time. The loss of a parent's presence through death or abandonment is massive and tragic. But the bigger tragedy is when the parent is physically present, but emotionally or conversationally, communication-wise, absent. It's a huge tragedy. We live in challenging times. And I just want to say, um, work culture in London is unhealthy. Lots of it is unhealthy. And 
there's, our, our ability to do much about it is limited, but let's at least acknowledge in many of our workplaces the work culture is unhealthy. Our choices and our ability to do something about it is limited, but we need to maximize the choice we've got. So if your work culture is to be the last one to leave and not the first one in the evening, change that culture. Leave on time. I'm not saying diddle your employer. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying leave on time, even though it might be costly, because our kids need to know that we're there. Um, when you're with your kids, be with them. Uh, switch off your mobile phone. Do you ever switch off your mobile phone? There are times we must switch that thing off. We had this rule in our family uh, as our kids were growing. We didn't eat with them every day. And as they get older, it would be less days. But, but many times in the week, even now we've just got one son at home, we will sit down at the table and we'll have a meal. And if the phone goes during that meal, it does not get answered. Because if you answer it, you are saying, that I don't even know who that is, but they're more important than you. <laughs> what kind of a message is that? We, when we're playing a game with our kids and it's, oh, bear with me. What, what message is that given? Switch off that phone, put it away, and be with them. Deal with your work when you need to deal with your work, but be with your kids when you... Sometimes it means watching what they watch. And this is a sacrifice. Uh, kids' <laughs> TV programs are... If you're my sort of age, do you remember Pokemon? Do you remember that po There'd be cartoons and nothing would move. This image would be on the screen for five minutes and, not, and then it would move one frame and you're like, oh, my brain is going dead. But you sit with your child and watch it with them. When they get older and you have to make your own choices about this and some of what they you you may begin to loosen some of the bound you know the way you set your boundaries about what they watch and what they don't watch um so uh, my kids as they go oh, I love scrubs anyone watch scrubs 90% hilariously funny 10% incredibly crude but we made the decision right or wrong you can make a deci different decision that okay you're of an age you can watch it but I'll sit and watch it with you and uh, you will filter it through my eyes as well as through your own eyes. It doesn't mean I'm giving you a running commentary. How irritating would that be? But, you know, we will see the same things together. Um, uh, gauging with them in what they're doing. We need to slow down with our children as well. I, we took lots of videos when our kids were little. And I watch those videos now sometimes. I love watching them. You know, you get their voices. You see how they were. And occasionally I'm in the video because Amanda or someone else is filming. And sometimes I just want to scream at myself, slow down, enjoy that moment. There's one particular clip, I just saw this expression on my face and I remembered, I can't remember what the issue was, but I know something at work was really stressing me out. And I just see my face and this wonderful thing is unfolding with my kids and I know in that moment I was absent from it. And I just want to scream at myself, enjoy that moment. It's gone, it's gone in an instant. In slow down, slow down, be with your kids. Just being there, you know, as our kids get older, they need our physical presence less, don't they? Um, so, um, uh, you know, you can come home late from work and they've made their own dinner. If you've trained them really well, they might even made yours. It doesn't happen too often, does it? But, <laughs> but, um, but, uh, but we still need to, we've, we've re even recently realized we're, we've been out on church stuff too many nights. Our son Tom does not physically need us at home. We might make sure we're in one evening and 
We might never see him in that evening. He might be up in his room doing something else. But being in the house communicates to him we're around and we've realized we do need to just watch. We don't let it slide just because he doesn't seem to need us so much. You know, parents of teenagers, you know this. The most important conversations come without warning, don't they? (laughs) They they just happen, and usually it's late at night, and you're thinking, oh, let me go to bed, <laughs> and they're sat on the end of your bed, and this conversation is unfolding, and you think, I've just got to go with it, and uh, I had this lovely moment with my 17-year-old just a few weeks ago, and um, he, uh, um, it was a Saturday morning. It was a wet, rainy Saturday morning. I had a dozen jobs to do. I had some stuff I was going to do on the computer, catch up with a few emails. Then I was going to go out and do some stuff. Suddenly, he bounces in. He said, do you want to go for a walk, Dad? Oh, when has my son ever asked me to go for a walk? We do take our family. We've have, we enjoy walking together, and they, they seem to enjoy it. But I've, he's never asked me to go for a walk with him. My first reaction or impulse was to say, please, can we do it next weekend? I've got this to do, and, uh, and it's raining anyway. But something, thankfully, stopped in me, and I just... Yeah, of course we can go for a walk. We just put on the wet weather gear. We just went to Newlands Corner and we had a lovely walk and a really unhealthy hamburger at the end of it because mum wasn't there. And uh, it was just a brilliant morning um, and uh, just going with that moment. I think the second really uh, in principle, important principle is that you are the lesson. Next picture, please. You are the lesson. I'm talking about speaking over our kids. It's really important that we remember that but they'll learn much more from what you do than from what you say. And this applies to you if they're not your kids. This is you. Those of you without kids, you're right in. They are looking at you. You are showing them what adults do, what they're like. We desperately want our kids to be passionate towards God. Then be passionate towards God. Don't just talk to them about being passionate. You be passionate. They will see it. Openly love them. These are the greatest gifts we can give our kids. Openly love them, even when they're squirming. Openly love them. Openly love your spouse. Never, ever talk down your spouse in front of your kids. You do them such harm, even if you think you're winning an ally in the argument and scoring a few points. Openly let your kids know how much you love their mother or father. Openly love God. I'm I'm just going to bang in a couple of random things here because I couldn't work it out build them into a nice neat structure so I will just throw them out there with teenagers pick your battles some things as they get older they're making choices they're supposed to make choices Uh, politeness and consideration are always important an untidy room or bright red dyed hair is not the end of the world even if you don't like it children make choices of their own as they get older and sometimes we should not rescue them from those choices. You know, when they're not getting the homework done and we're thinking, oh, oh come on, sit down with me, we'll do it, with it. Sometimes the right thing to do is let them face the consequence of the choice that they've made. Not then doing the I told you so bit, but that when they come home in despair because the teachers shredded them because the homework wasn't done, okay, well, what can we do to make sure that doesn't happen next time? Um, sometimes it means standing alongside them in their mess being the one who stands alongside them at the neighbor's front door, apologizing for the racket last night when you were out and just taking the hit with them communicates massively to them. Don't, apologi- uh, don't, um, don't measure everything by church attendance. Our kids are working out their relationship with God. We change from being the person who says, 
Yeah, we're going to church to the person who is coaching them about making choices. I, these are principles you can disagree with me about. This isn't the word of God. This is just experience. You can take or leave. Under 13, I reckon we're a family. We go to church. You come to church. Over 18, you're an adult. You're making your own choices. Between 13 and 18, sometimes we have to work out actually we're doing more harm than good by insisting you're coming with me and we just have to step back and there might be times we ask them to come but we let them make their choices. And I think this is a really key thing and I just sense, well I just believe this will be a word from just common sense tells me this will be a word for some here. We need to let go of false guilt. Guilt and parenting go hand in hand, don't they? You just feel guilty the whole time. Uh, if you let yourself, and we just have to say, God, I did my best. I made lots of mistakes. Forgive me where I've sinned. Help me bring reconciliation where I've brought damage. So much thankfulness for so many good things. But, uh, you know, I learned this. You talk to one parent, and they're telling you how much they regret that they weren't firmer with their kids. You go and talk to another parent, and they say, oh, I regret being too rigid. And so far as you can see, their parenting was the same. They're just going to feel guilty, whatever they do. Someone parent says, oh, I wish we'd be more diligent and, uh, in our family devotions and praying with our kids. Another parent says, oh, I just feel we probably rammed it down their throats too much. And you think, well, you're probably doing the same thing. You both feel guilty. Um, uh, God is the perfect parent and his children disobeyed him. So we do our best and we love our kids. I'll bring things to a close. I think, just the final picture. Um, Proverbs chapter 1 speaks of a father's instruction and a mother's teaching. It describes them as a crown for our head and a chain of office around our neck. Proverbs 15.20 says, A wise son brings joy to his father. A foolish man despises his mother. Our sons have brought such joy to our hearts over the years and they do today my son who I shared a bit with his permission I've shared I've told you everything I've shared some things he's preaching this morning in Wimbledon he's there just came an age when God reached out and took hold of him after these years I don't want to paint a wrong picture there was lots that was our non-Christian friends taught us to value our kids not just by whether or not they went to church or not they would be they were like your kids are great. What are, you, what are you discouraged about? Your kids are great. And, uh, um, but there came a point when after years of not wanting to know God, feeling God was out to spoil his fun, in his early 20s, God just reached out. And, and God told Amanda, and he spoke to us both individually, to stay out of it when he started pulling him back. We began to see something coming alive in him. And, God began, and we were so itching to jump ahead and finish the job. And we both felt God say, you keep praying, but you keep quiet. And other people spoke into and God just brought him back. Uh, we have another son who, after years of walking closely with God, is now going through a real dip. Uh, um, our, our third son is doing great, doing fine uh, with us. But, you know, um, my sons bring such joy to my heart. I'm aware of so many shortfalls in my parenting. I'm not the expert. So many times when I felt out of my depth, but I go back to where we started. If you're a parent and you don't know, I don't know how you're feeling this morning. You may be loving every minute. You may be submerged in despair. Probably a mixture of the two. Either way, back to where we started. 
there is only one perfect Father. And he loves you and he approves of you. And knowing his love and approval of you is the best equipping you will ever have to be a parent yourself. He loves our kids more than we do and he's able to parent them through us and directly. It's wonderful. I would like to pray just to finish. I want to pray for parents. If you're a parent, can you just uh, sort of uh, be in a, a receptive frame of mind just to receive from God? Lord, I just want to thank you. You are our perfect Father and you love us with an everlasting love. Jesus, I thank you so much. You came with this message that you have a Father in heaven who loves you. My Father can be your Father. And we just receive that right now. Thank you. I just pray for every parent here. You know the situations. I pray you bring encouragement and hope. I pray you bring strengthening and spurring on. And uh, Lord, just let your Holy Spirit come upon every parent in this place and every future parent in this place and on all of us as we seek to uh, mother and father the community around us. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Amen. Thank you, David. Thank you so much for encouraging us and inspiring us and sharing with us. We're going to take some time to respond. I don't know what's been going on in your heart through that last 35 minutes. There'll be different contexts and different experiences, but I do know that for all of us, every single one of us, there's an opportunity to draw closer to the perfect parent himself in these moments, whatever your context is. So shall we stand? We'll sing. I love the, the prayer team to come and join me to my left now. And you can come and, and receive prayer anytime you want in these next few moments because uh, we have a perfect heavenly father who would love to give us a touch of his, as it were. So parenting to my left. Parents, now's a great chance. Your kids are being wonderfully looked after and will be till quarter past 12. So why not come and get some prayer? Why not draw close to the perfect parent himself? People would love to pray with you. You might be like me and, and not a parent and God's still been touching you this morning. You might not know God at all and you've heard an invitation to know the perfect heavenly parent. There's only one. <laughs> and his name's God. He loves all of us and longs to draw close to all of us. So I want to encourage you. Let's not be too English. There's a great team here who'd love to pray with you for any context at all. I'd encourage you to respond. Make your way down. We'll pray with you and we'll enjoy singing together a couple of songs. Let me just pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for uh, being with us this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to draw close to you. As we sing this, this wonderful song, Blessed Be Your Name, that talks of the, the glorious highs and also the, some of the lows. We ask you in this song, would you help us to respond to you and trust you? Heavenly Father, we trust you for our kids if we have them. We trust you if they're doing brilliantly and we trust you if they're really struggling. We trust you if they're young. We trust you if they're old. God, if we haven't got parents and we'd love to, we haven't got children and we'd love to, we trust you. If actually hearing a, a series about parenting is the hardest thing we've had to do this year, we trust you. Heavenly Father, you are our perfect parent. I pray you draw close to us in these moments and father us as only you can and lead us on as a church, as a church that longs to reach our community. Lead us in your plans, in your purposes, that we might bear your perfect parenting image to adults and kids around us and see them come to you. Amen. Thank you.